Hello again, listeners. Welcome back to Forgotten Events. I am your host, Katie. And I'm Jennifer. Hey, Jen. We're back. Yeah. Guys, this story today is as chilling as any horror film. In the quiet small town of Texarkana, Texas, in 1946, a killer dressed in a white mask terrorized everyone. And 74 years later, the case remains unsolved. This is the nightmare story of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. The first attack took place on February 22nd, 1946, on a secluded road just outside of town. A young couple parked in their car, Jimmy Hollis, 25, and Mary Jean Larry, 19, were approached by the phantom killer while sitting together in Jimmy's car. Blinding them with his flashlight, he instructed them out of their car at gunpoint. Jimmy would be beaten severely and left with a fractured skull. Oh, wow. This really does sound like the start of a slasher flick, doesn't it? It does. I agree. I mean, I don't get the whole white mask thing and, you know, why is it white? Why that type of mask? But that's just me being inquisitive again. Anyway. Mary would be instructed by the phantom to run. When she began to run, he told her to change course and run toward the road. The phantom would then chase her down and sexually assault her with his pistol before letting her run away again. Despite the severity of their attacks, both Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry would survive. They were able to provide a description of their attacker, but unfortunately, it was just a vague description. Now, Mary would eventually tell her story in an article, and Jen, I'd love for you to read the excerpt of this article. We had been there about 10 minutes, and a man walked up. He wore a white mask over his head with cut-out places for his eyes and mouth. He pointed a flashlight and pistol at us. He came up on the driver's side of the car and told Jimmy something like this. I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. We both got out of the car on Jimmy's side and stood by the man. The man then told Jimmy, take off your britches. I told Jimmy to please take them off because if he did, we wouldn't be hurt. After Jimmy had taken off his trousers, the man hit Jimmy twice on the head. The noise was so loud, I thought Jimmy had been shot. I learned later that the sound was a skull cracking. Oh, my goodness. The following month... Richard Griffin and Pollyann Moore would be discovered dead in a 1941 Oldsmobile sedan parked at the end of a secluded road. Richard, 29, and 17-year-old Pollyann were fatally shot in the back of their heads. Then, on April 14th, Betty Jo Booker, 15, and her friend Paul Martin, 17, would be the next victims of the Phantom Killer. At approximately 1.30 in the morning, the two had left a VFW club in Texarkana where Betty Jo had just finished playing in a band. Paul had picked Betty Jo up to take her home. This would be the last time anyone would see Betty Jo or Paul alive. Later that morning, 
Martin's body was found by Mr. and Mrs. G.H. Weaver and their son, lying on its left side by the northern edge of North Park Road. Paul had been shot four times, once through the nose, once through his rib from behind, in the right hand, and lastly, through the back of his neck, Jen. Hmm. It sounds like his M.O. has changed since the first attempt, doesn't it? It does. It does. They're very close together, but different. Searchers, Ted Shopey, I hope I say that right, and members of the Boyd family would find Betty Jo's body at 11.30 a.m., approximately two miles away from where Paul's body was found. She was found behind a tree. She was found fully clothed with the right hand in the pocket of the buttoned overcoat she was wearing. Betty Jo had been shot twice, once in the face and once through her chest. It was later discovered that both Paul and Betty Jo put up a strong fight. Paul's 1946 Ford Club Coupe would be find, found three miles away from where Betty Joe's body was found. It was located near Spring Lake Park with the keys still in it. It always makes me so sad when I learned that the victims put up a fight because I know that they had to be so scared in the moment. It had to be going through their head that they're fighting for their lives, you know? Yes. But uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm glad that they did. I'm glad they fought with everything that they had and I'm proud of them for that. Me too. Well, then in May... The phantom killer attacked his last known victims, Virgil and Katie Starks, a husband and wife, who were living in their farmhouse northeast of town. Virgil Starks was killed after being shot twice in the back of the head. His wife, Katie, was shot twice in the face, but would survive after escaping and running down the street to a neighbor's house. I mean, Jen, I read this. I say it out loud, but I just can't imagine, first of all, just being shot. And secondly, twice in my face and having the muster to get help. It's that, that animal instinct just running on pure adrenaline. I guess so. Well, with the phantom's whereabouts unknown, residents in the town armed themselves. Although the Texas Rangers were actively involved and several hundred people arrested in connection with the killings, there were no conclusive arrests made. Some of the suspects included a University of Arkansas freshman who committed suicide in 1948, an escaped German prisoner of war, and an L.A. resident who believed that he may have committed the crimes while in a coma. Oh, wow. Yes. Theorists believed that the killings were done by a sex maniac because the killings happened to couples only parked in secluded areas for the most part. People also believed that a local man, Yule Swiney, was the phantom. His wife would come forward claiming that he was responsible for the killings, but Jen... As many do in these types of stories, she would later recant her entire confession. Hmm. 
So I know in the past that we've seen women that are just seeking revenge and, and scorned, you know. So do you think that something similar here? Or do you think we're seeing something different in this case? You know, I don't know. As I researched this, I just my guess is that she recanted out of fear. I mean, as I looked at this, I just kept thinking that she seemed so convinced of what she first reported, but we'll never know. An auto theft conviction would send her husband, Ewell, to prison. He would be released in 1973, die in 1994, and never implicate himself in the murders. There were others, though, that had doubts about Swiney's guilt. There was a cold case in 1948 involving the disappearance of Virginia Carpenter, a 21-year-old from Texarkana, thought by some to have been the work of the Phantom Killer. Swiney could not be connected to this disappearance because he was in prison at the time. In 1999 and again in 2000, the surviving family members of the Phantom's victims would be contacted by a woman apologizing for, quote, what her father had done, end quote. Ewell Swiney did not have a daughter. Regardless of the killer's identity, Texarkana, Texas has never been the same. However, New opportunities for the town to revisit the crime happened in 1976 when locals were cast as extras in the movie The Town That Dreaded Suntown, as scary a movie as any back in the late 70s. And every year around Halloween, the movie is screened at Spring Lake Park, the area where some of the murders took place. (laughs) Ooh, that's so morbid. It sounds really fun. I want to go. I, I knew you would. Seriously, we, we, should, we should go this year or next year. We, we have to. Girls trip. So the Phantom Killer's murders remain unsolved. And Jen, I can only think that whoever hid behind the white mask more than 70 years ago is most likely not a threat today to the great people of Texarkana, Texas. However, the legacy the killer left behind still haunts this beautiful town. <laughs>